I'm Jane Jackson. And I'm Colin Denny. And you're listening to A Better Workplace from Wistia. Hey, everyone. This is Jane, the VP of People at Wistia. And today I've got a little challenge for my co-host, Colin. All right. So we'll do so we're going to do the infamous test, Jane. So we'll have you introduce it without giving away the context. Just say, hey, Colin, I'm going to give you a test. You're good with tests, right? That's our producer, Ron. He's setting me and Colin Dinney, my co-pilot on this podcast, (laughs) up for a surprise test that I'm going to administer to Colin. This isn't just any test. It's a test I found earlier this year on the blog of an executive search firm. A test supposedly designed to help women in the workplace better succeed in their careers. It's a test that, quite frankly, got me pretty fired up, as you will soon learn later in the episode. One of the issues that members of marginalized groups have to deal with in the corporate world are the double standards and stereotypes that create obstacles and make it much more difficult to navigate. The test I just alluded to is actually just one small example. And today on the podcast, you're going to hear a few stories that address various issues of how people in these groups deal with these challenges. A black woman in an executive role takes a considerable amount of time to compose an email so as not to come across as the proverbial angry black woman. A black man is critiqued by his superiors as being confrontational because of the confidence and style in which he presents his ideas. And women are often criticized or penalized for displaying characteristics typically associated with men, yet at the same time are encouraged to exhibit those very same characteristics if they expect to excel in the workplace. And that, my friends, brings me back to the test with Colin. All right, Colin, I have a special treat for you today. I have a career-focused quiz that I'd love for you to go through with me if you're game. How are you with quizzes and tests? I think I've always dreaded pop quizzes uh, because I am the type to study 24 to 48 hours before the test. So uh, I, I, I am usually a little fearful of pop quizzes, but, but I'm game regardless. Let's do it. Okay. I don't think any studying is needed, but all you need to know okay. is this is a career growth focused quiz for you. So or as long as there's no math. No math. I don't think. No math. Okay. <laughs> so the first question, when you're thinking about your career, in order to move to the next level, you need to A, Apply for a new role when you meet 65 to 70% of the requirements? Or B, apply for a role when you meet nearly all of the requirements? I'm going to say B. Apply for a role when you meet nearly all of the requirements. Yes. We'll come back to Colin and the test. But first, let's get into our first story. It comes from an executive office of a large media company. Yolanda is a senior vice president with over a quarter of a century of production experience in Hollywood. She spearheaded production on such films as Book of Eli and The Blind Side, did a stint at Netflix, was executive vice president of production at Disney's Freeform, 
sits on the Producers Guild of America and is an Academy member. She sits on or chairs various industry committees on gender and racial parity in Hollywood, and as a podcast co-producer in her own right, has reported on what it takes for there to finally be gender equity in the film and television industry. All that is to say, Yolanda has an impeccable and incredibly impressive record in her field, and is empirically one of the most experienced people in most rooms she finds herself in. Yet, despite all of these accolades, as a Black woman, she still faces a double dose of double standards and stereotypes. So much so, that even something as simple as writing an email can be a chore. Here she is to tell her story. Even writing an email... I don't have to tell you this. It takes me double the amount of time to write an email that a white person writes. You got to make sure, oh, how does the tone sound? What am I saying? Like all this bullshit. It's like (sighs) your white privilege is you can send an email and not worry about your tone. Do you know how much time of my life is stolen from me because I'm a black person and I have to read a freaking email over and over. That's but one example. And now I have to explain to you. So Yolanda continues with this passionate response and you can undoubtedly hear the frustration in her voice. Now, what you don't know is that this conversation wasn't even for the podcast. It was the start of a conversation that she and Ron were having for something completely different, totally different project. And when we reached out to Yolanda to ask her if we could use the clip for this podcast, she expressed some concerns. She was worried that she might come off to listeners as that stereotypical angry black woman she's worked so hard to not come off as in her emails. And I want you to let that sink in for a second. Yolanda's sharing her genuine experience about how hard she needs to work to counteract stereotypes in her written communications. And even in sharing that truth, she needs to self-censor so that we, the listeners, don't categorize her as such. Here's the rest of what she had to say. Answering emails. Well, I had a previous conversation with Ron about answering emails as a Black female professional in corporate America. And I was pretty candid in that conversation with him. So I asked to re-record my response such that I would not be characterized as an angry Black woman, which goes to the heart of the original recording, which I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to being out in the world because it was my authentic self. And I appreciate authenticity and candor. However, the entire topic of this is why I asked to re-record my response, which is this. When Black people interact in corporate America in verbal and written form, it falls upon ears and psyches in a way that is different than when other uh, groups do, particularly Caucasian folk. Women are heard differently than men when they say the exact same things. 
many of my colleagues and subordinates have in the past said to me, I want to learn from you about how you communicate. But the sad thing about that is I can communicate well. However, that is coming off of having spent an inordinate amount of time looking at my email communication. Any email that I send, particularly if I'm sending it to an audience that are of some kind of influence or a station of power within an organization, I will reread that email at least once, potentially twice. And in doing so, I am placing myself in the position frequently of saying, okay, Yolanda, you are a white male person of a certain station, uh, a certain position within a certain organizational structure with a certain social experience. And you are receiving this email from Yolanda Cochran. How does it fall on your ears? How are you perceiving it? And I will frequently make modifications based upon that assessment. Now, the sad part about this is often the modifications I'm making are somewhat unnecessary because I can read those emails And without modification, the exact same words are completely fine, equally as effective. And I know if they were sent from an email address belonging to another white male, they would be received in a different way than had I sent them. The amount of time that I spend on this endeavor is ridiculous. You can imagine how many emails I'm sending in a day to people who need to receive messages from me. The level that I operate on requires that I'm effective. It hinges upon me maintaining relationships with others like myself. And the effectiveness of the collaboration that I'm trying to inspire and maintain is wholly dependent upon what kind of communication style and discourse that I'm having with these individuals on a regular basis. This is a huge time suck and time waste of my life. Question number two, to develop your skills, it's best to A, Stay on your current path where you have established a record of success or B, gain experience in new disciplines that fall outside of your background. That's a, <laughs> that's a funny question. Um, I think I am currently doing B like in real life, but I think my gut would have gone with A. So I'll say A. Oh, you should have stuck with B. The right answer is B. Oh, see? Well, at least I'm doing the right thing in real life. <laughs> we'll move on to question three here. Okay. Question three. If a recruiter calls you 
you A, return the call if you are actively searching for a new position. B, return the call even if you are comfortable in your current position and just know who you're talking to right now so there's really only one answer. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't help but give Colin a bit of a hard time there. But before we hear his answer, let's hear story number two. And it comes from none other than our show producer, Ron Dawson. So, I'm sure there's no way you can tell by the sound of my voice that I'm a black man. (laughs) Actually, I'm a relatively dark black man. I know, I know. I hate the sound of my voice. Remember that scene in Beverly Hills Cop where Eddie Murphy confronts the white detective and the black detective who've been tailing him, and he makes fun of the way the black guy talks? We're the first team. Yeah. We're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? (laughs) It should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. See? That's more natural for us. Yeah. I'm the banana in the tailpipe guy. No. I'm not literally that guy. I'm the black guy that talks like that guy. But sometimes communication can be a problem for black people in the working world. Not necessarily because of how we talk, although sometimes that can be an issue too, but rather because of how we share our opinions and feelings. It's what I like to call the angry black man syndrome, or rather fear of an angry black man syndrome. It kind of works like this. When people of color, particularly black people, voice their opinions with strength and confidence, some white people perceive that as confrontational. It's a common and frustrating situation that many black people face in corporate America. Enough of us face it where it's safe to say it's one of those unconscious biases that white managers don't know they have. I was actually let go from a past job and one of the key reasons given was that my interactions with people were confrontational. In fact, one of the specific examples used in my exit interview was a situation where I made a repeated case for why our team should use one particular course of action over another, a course of action my supervisor actually told me he agreed with, yet this was used against me as an example of my confrontational nature. Now, admittedly, I am a person who loves the debate. I won't argue with that. And I'll make room for the fact that I could always learn to be a little less lawyerly But like most creatives, I can be passionate about what I think, and if I feel strongly about something, I'll fight for it with vigor. But I always do it with respect. You know, I don't go around dropping F-bombs or yelling up a storm. But in my over 25 years of working with other creative professionals, whether in the corporate world or in the filmmaking world, the best work comes from teams where the members have the freedom to freely express how they feel, no matter who disagrees with them. But regardless of how strongly I feel about something, if you're my boss or my client, if you tell me, thanks for the input, Ron, but I'm putting my foot down and I want to go in this other direction, then I'm a 100% team player and I'll make it happen to the best of my ability. Absent that definitive direction, I'm going to continue to make a case for what I think is the right course of action. Now, these are the things that nag away at me. Despite the fact that I had great performance numbers and glowing reviews from the collaborators and customers that we work with outside the company, I was let go for being quote-unquote confrontational. This is the bane of Black people in the working world when things like this happen. We start doubting ourselves and wonder, was I really that bad? Like, what am I missing? 
Am I fooling myself? It's like a form of gaslighting. That is, until you hear the stories of other Black people who either left or were let go from the same company who have their own similar stories, or you read the glass story reviews from disgruntled employees, those who are still there or those who left, who also have similar stories. And you start to think and realize, maybe I'm not so crazy after all. I have to be honest. I had a lot of reservations about sharing this story. First, I don't want to come across as a, a complainer or bitter. I, I'm really not. I honestly believe that as bad as that firing was, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me at that time in my life. I ended up in a much better place professionally with much less drama. And the current success of my business is a testament that the success I had in that job wasn't a fluke. Second, I worry about whether sharing such a story would hurt my future hiring prospects. I think whenever you share a story like this, there's that fear. Are there recruiters listening to this thinking, make a note not to hire that guy? But at the end of the day, I know this issue is real. I've read too many Medium and blog posts or New York Times and Washington Post articles about black executives and managers in white corporate America who all share similar stories of these subtle biases. I want to help managers who have a sincere desire to change their organization's corporate culture to look for situations like this and be wary. But most of all, most important to me personally, I know that there are black people, women, LGBTQ+, and others who are members of marginalized or minority groups who feel their own version of prejudice and biases and are wondering the same thing that I did. Is it me? Or is it this aspect of me that's different? And if you're such a person, I want you to know that you are not going crazy. And most of all, you are not alone. I, I mean, I feel like my answer is heavily influenced by what my current situation is. And so because of my current situation, it is, is A the one where I don't take the call? A is return the call if you are actively searching for a new position. Oh, if I'm looking, then yeah, I'm going to return the call. But if not, no. So whichever one that is, (laughs) I guess A. All right, we'll go to the next question. In order to advance your career, you should A, work in an organization with a formal mentorship program, or B, join a networking group. I really hope I get a chance to explain my <laughs> explain my answers. Okay, good. I would probably say A. That was a trick question. Oh, boy. All right. That's all the questions in the quiz. Now what okay. I'll do is I'll tell you what the quiz is about, and mm-hmm. we can go through. All right. So this quiz is a quiz offered by an executive search firm that is aimed at helping women advance their careers. So the quiz is called, How Can Women Avoid Leaving Opportunities on the Table? And what they share is, in our experience, men often behave differently in some important ways that help themselves and other men advance their careers. Take this quiz to see if you could benefit from a new approach. So question one, 
In order to move to the next level, you should A, apply for a role where you meet 65 to 70% of the requirements, or B, apply for a role when you meet nearly all of the requirements. All right, so your answer on this is B, apply for a role when you meet all the requirements. Mm -hmm. Their feedback for that answer is, don't wait until you're ready. Women are more likely to think they must have all the qualifications to be considered for a role, but no candidate checks every box. If you're interested in the role and meet 70% of the requirements, go for it. So I'd love to kind of hear what you were thinking when you said B. So I, I imagine that as as we as we continue to wade through these questions, that we might see a lot of parallels in uh, women in the workplace and people of color in the workplace. And I feel like there's professional and societal pressure in in my experiences of people of color needing to outperform general expectations. I imagine that may be true for, for women as well, where you feel like you need to be twice as good or, or, you know, work twice as hard or do whatever you can to make someone feel more sure footed in choosing you and, uh, feeling like they made the right choice. Like you have to validate yourself maybe more so than, than others would. And so I feel like that kind of societal conditioning, I suppose, is is what influences my answers. It's one of those things that as I grow older and gain more professional experience that I understand is not how one should be thinking about it. But, you know, in these situations, I just try to answer honestly based on like my life experiences and how I've chosen to kind of navigate my professional uh, endeavors. Yeah, I think my reaction to the question was... I know that the answer should be apply when you meet 65 to 70%. But mm -hmm. I also know there have been times in my career where I have raised my hand for a stretched opportunity and been told you're not ready and felt treated differently after putting myself forward that way in a way that, you know, maybe wasn't as present for male peers who said, hey, I'm ready for X, Y, Z when their resume didn't match for being ready. So I know that what this quiz is trying to teach me is I need to, you know, take some chances. But my experience as a woman in the workplace is that sometimes that can be penalized and people may think that you are arrogant or overconfident about the skill set and value that you bring to a company if you put your name in too soon uh, mm -hmm. for an opportunity. Yeah, that, that feeling of like overstepping your bounds or. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. You want to tackle question number two? Do it. To develop your skills, it's best to A, stay on your current path where you have established a record of success or B gain experience in new disciplines that fall outside of your background. And I know I said a, uh, but it, but I'm currently living B, which was unexpected because I would have chosen a, I am going to click B since it's the life that you're living right now. <laughs> okay. 
And I'll read off the feedback. Watch it still it be said, wrong. <laughs> there's no wrong answers. Okay. There's just different right answers. Okay. Uh, so this one, uh, it says, take a chance. While you do want to build deep expertise in one or two key areas, it's important to take chances to build knowledge and skills in new areas. It's not unusual for a woman to ask, how do I know if I'll like it? when considering new opportunities, more openness to change, and in particular, the willingness to pursue P&L experience can help you take steps vital to your career. I have many reactions to this particular bit of feedback, but mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear hear yours first. Okay. I feel like somewhat related to the first question, it has more to do with taking what you believe to be the safest path towards progression. I feel like as a black professional, and I'm sure in your experiences as a woman, you gain experiences that kind of shape your thinking about how you have to navigate these things. And so I feel like, you know, my gut told me a, and historically has told me a, because you feel like you just want to take the, you know, the safest route, the, you know, something that feels very linear, and has kind of a clear outlined trajectory in some way, as opposed to kind of spreading yourself out and doing different things. And then, you know, I suppose it's thinking of it like, do you want to be the type that excels extremely at this one thing or does, you know, do many things well or do one thing great? And I think I have been inclined to try and do one thing great. Being here, uh, I've been been presented with several opportunities in a lot of different areas, and because I also tend to be a perpetual hand raiser in some situations, it has led me down a, a you know a path that was unexpected, uh, which is why I said I'm living B, but would have chosen A. I'm I, I have my hands <laughs> in a lot of different cookie jars right now, which is actually like really leveled up a lot of my standing here and like influence across the company, which, you know, I, if you gave me the choice, I wouldn't have done it this way, but I guess that's, that's also playing scared. You know, they they say scared money doesn't make money. And so, uh, it's been an interesting journey to be proven wrong, I guess. (laughs) But I also feel like that, you know, those opportunities are not evenly distributed across, you know, companies and other other you know wisty is a bit different in that regard so it's it's been an interesting interesting journey yeah i think for me my reaction to the question is uh that if the audience of this is women who are executives because it's an executive search firm Mm -hmm. it feels super gendered to be asking a question that I think most people can intuit the answer right. uh, that they're looking for. And it feels like if your audience is people at the director, VP, C-suite level are on your site and you're asking them a question like this, it would never be on, like you would never see a questionnaire with the simplistic <laughs> language aimed at men. Right. And so like I had a very visceral reaction. I think it's great for women earlier in their career because 
you know, it is true. We have to think about our careers through the lens of competing in a very male dominated workplace. But when you're talking to people who are moving towards the top of their fields and you ask a question like this simplistic, it just really irked me because I know the answer, Mm -hmm. but I also know that like, uh, I think it can be harder for, as I said before, women to get some of these stretch opportunities. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they come up over guys going out after work for beers and not inviting, you know, their women cohorts uh, or peers to. So like it is a catch 22. I know the answer, but it can be different. Sometimes women can be punished for trying to do too many different things and not stay in their lane. I think anyone can be, but there's certainly some gendered aspects to it that get me defensive when I'm like, okay, if I'm a a C-suite woman on your website and I'm taking this quiz that's supposed to help me in my career Mm -hmm. and you're asking me that level of like simple question (laughs) that you think it's adding value to me at the C-level is like, it's just, it's patronizing, frankly. So that's when I like, I don't know, I got a little pissed off. Yeah, understandably so because- (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also, it also makes me think that if you, you know, let's say you're in a situation, some hypothetical scenario where a woman goes for a job and she's told, you know, in so many words to, you know, the stay in your lane thing, or or maybe you should take a step back and focus on this one thing. You got to figure that's got to damage any willingness to go for something in the future because this, the seeds of doubt have been sown. And so then you're talking about you know, really amplified career stagnation unfairly. And then, then you start to, you know, it gets me thinking about, well, how does, how does one climb out of that? Like if you, if you try to go for something, you're deemed as overly ambitious or, you know, too big for your britches in some way, then you're, then you start to, you know, you in the back of your mind, it was like, well, when am I ready? If you're not getting actionable feedback, you know, it, it just, it makes you wonder. I think it's also interesting to think, think through the lens of a manager and when folks on your teams come to you looking for opportunities, if you have that visceral reaction, like, oh, this person, it would be a great jump or, oh, it's way too soon. I think it's a good lens to just self-reflect and be like, would I have said that if, so-and-so came to me asking about this stretch opportunity. Is there, is there a concrete reason why I'm treating one uh, request differently or reacting to it slightly differently? And it's like a good mm. lens, even for me to think through what's your reaction when people come to you with what you may react to pretty quickly. Is it like, is it something deeper? Is it bias that we've kind of built up over time or is it what is the differentiator on why you would say yes to one person and no to the other? And I, I think it's just yeah. a helpful lens to keep in mind for folks who are in power and can pull people into stretch opportunities and have so much influence over the growth of folks on their team. So that test definitely fired me up. With that, Ron and Yolanda's story, there's a lot to unpack today. 
One of the most difficult aspects of addressing stories like this is the fact that in none of these situations are there any egregious and blatantly obvious forms of sexism or racism. It's likely that the folks on the other end of these situations have little or no idea how their actions or the general work environment have impacted their peers. The reality is that we all bring our own experiences, trauma, and context to interactions with one another and to the workplace. How does a company balance being mindful of the overall impact of microaggressions or unconscious bias with providing valid input to employees whose interactions or performance may warrant it, regardless of their race or gender? To address and hopefully answer these questions, we met with and interviewed a DEI professional consultant and trainer to help us navigate this sensitive and provocative topic. Where do these biases come from? Biases against what? What's preferred? And when you start to ask those questions, you always come back to this very scary word. It's so scary, in fact, that in my training, just to bring up levity, I started to put a picture. Do y'all know who Pennywise is? You know, or It, the clown from yeah, It. The, the clown? Yeah, the white yeah, face, yeah. scary clown from It. That's the slide that I put up in my training as the lead up. So I'll be like, it's a scary word. Are you ready? We're gonna go there. And people are like, what is it? And you'll get the answer to that question in our next episode when we tackle part two of Double Standards and Stereotypes. A Better Workplace is a production of Wistia Studios. This episode was written by Jane Jackson and Ron Dawson. We're also produced by Ron. Editing and mixing by Adam Day and Jarrett Floyd. And your hosts were me, Colin Denny, and Jane Jackson. Many thanks to Yolanda Cochran and Ron for sharing their stories. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.